Don't tell your parents we skipped school for two weeks. Okay. Okay. Holy. Potluck. Potluck. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi everyone, welcome back to Saturday School. This is our last episode of our fifth season, which was on Asian Americans in Asia. Does that make this our 50th episode? Oh, probably more than that. Yeah, because we have some bonus episodes. So it might be like our 55th episode. Excellent. That sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think we'd get this far? Also, I mean, like, it's not just the way to celebrate us. It's also about like the fact that there are this many Asian American films. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's a lot that we want to cover, but just didn't happen to fit into the topics of our seasons. So there's plenty more to come, basically. Yeah. what you're saying. I don't know. I didn't really think that much about where we were going with this. I just <laughs> thought it would be fun. And it's still fun, so. Yeah. <laughs> As we've gotten more work and more responsibility, it's still been fun. <laughs> so we're still doing it. It's been a big year for us in terms of full-time jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think in some ways, this whole season has been leading up to this episode. I think that when we talk about Asian Americans in Asia, like I think for a lot of people, the first thing you think of is Bruce Lee. Yeah, I think in general, if you think about Asian Americans in movies, <laughs> the first thing people think of is Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> That's like for better or worse. That's like become the stereotype, obviously. But in terms of like who's made it, Bruce Lee and like nobody else and, and like the cast and crew of Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> That's not quite true. Crazy Rich Asians, I don't even think Bruce Lee is like an icon, right? Like an icon that has, according to an article by Brian Hu, <laughs> spawned so many knockoff Bruce Lee movies, Bruce Boitation films. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, no you're, you're right. It's like you read my article. <laughs> it's like I read the abstract of your article. I think even the, the title could have given that. Because if people don't realize this, as much of an icon as he is, He's really only known for, what was it, like four movies, five movies? Yeah. Like four and a half movies. His heyday was only like three years long. Wow. Um, and so when he died, people needed to fill that in somehow. So everywhere around the world, they created fake Bruce Lee's to, to try to fill the void. Like the market had not died down wow. yet. People needed more Bruce Lee in their lives. We still need more Bruce Lee in our lives. I guess, I guess as, a, um, as a metaphor for achievements in pop culture, sure. I don't know if we need more martial arts stars. Okay, so I'm not an Asian American male. So I wonder, when you were young, did you feel like people assumed you could do Kung Fu and did that bother you? I think it was less that they assumed I did Kung Fu, but more that you would just be called Jackie Chan because they didn't know what else to call you. Oh. I feel like if they could find like an even more demasculinizing or more insulting person to choose from, they would have. They just didn't know any better. So... Luckily for me, they chose people who are pretty cool. <laughs> so they meant it as an insult, but they chose cool people to call you. Right. It's it's like when I play basketball, like pickup games, and you get called Jeremy Lenz. Like that's there are worse things to be called as a Asian American man on the streets. Yeah, because I think for me, I was like, I wish I knew how to do kung fu. <laughs> so Bruce Lee, where where do we where do we go? Back? Well, so so I guess 
I mean, like, what more can we add to the conversation about Bruce Lee? I mean, more has been said about him than I bet, like, more has been said about him than any other Asian American. Period. Not just in entertainment. Probably. Who else would it be? I think I'm sticking to that. <laughs> I don't even know who's second. Jackie Chan is probably second. And I wouldn't call him an Asian American in quite the same way either. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot. Where it's like, who's your favorite Asian American actor? Jackie Chan. You're like, oh, I'm glad your favorite Asian American actor is not Asian American. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But like even Asian Americans will give that answer. Yeah. What more can we add to this conversation at this point? And also like within China, with Hong Kong, Taiwan, they talk about Bruce Lee in a certain way also. So I think for the purposes of our episode and this season, it might be fun to think about watching Bruce Lee's films today in the context of what we've been talking about all season about an Asian American who's going back to Asia to have a career in entertainment yes. and how he fits within a certain tradition, but also he precedes a lot of everybody we've talked about this season. So maybe thinking about like, what was it like in the seventies as opposed to the eighties, nineties and two thousands, which is what we've been focusing on. Yes. So Bruce Lee was born in the U S but he actually became somewhat famous as a child star in Hong Kong. So even as a child, he spent some of his formative years in Hong Kong. He was in some of the legendary Hong Kong films of the fifties, actually as a child. His dad was a Cantonese opera star. But he ended up going back to the U.S. He studied in the U.S., he went to college, and then he entered the film industry, film and television industry. And there's just so many stories about these starts and stops. At some point, maybe he decided doing martial arts was more feasible. And when he would collaborate with people to create films for Hollywood, there was a few instances where it got stolen away from him. Or like somebody did the exact same thing, but with a white actor. Yeah. So Kato on the Green Hornet, he's like the sidekick. So after he got a little bit of success, people encouraged him to go back to Hong Kong to try his luck there because the industry was kind of booming. And when he went back to Hong Kong, he realized that he was actually a big star in Hong Kong because there, when they watched the Green Hornet, they really promoted him. So that was kind of the start of him working with Golden Harvest and Raymond Chow, who just passed away recently, and really becoming a big star in Hong Kong. Yeah, he came in at kind of a interesting moment in the history of Hong Kong action films. I mean, Shaw Brothers was the dominant studio by the early 1970s, mostly making like period films, like wuxia films, like swordplay movies where people quote unquote fly from rooftop to rooftop. Whereas Bruce Lee was less interested in that kind of stories and more interested in like fist fighting, like on the street, on the ground. And somewhat more contemporary. And his success with those films completely changed the course of Hong Kong action. They started with a film called The Big Boss, which is one of the two films we want to focus on today. Um, but just quickly, yeah, he made The Big Boss, then he made Fist of Fury, and then Way of the Dragon. And those three Golden Harvest films launched him to another stratosphere in Asia. And then Hollywood took notice and said, all right, we're ready to invest in you in a way we didn't before. Uh, when he was in Hollywood, he could only be a sidekick. He could only just be a martial arts flavor. But then they made Enter the Dragon with Warner Brothers and the rest is history. Yes. So for this episode, we're going to talk about the 1971 film, The Big Boss, and then Way of the Dragon from 1972. Why did we want to focus on these two movies? These two take place in the diaspora. And Bruce Lee, as a person who kind of was largely raised and found a, a life in the United States, the fact that, that none of his movies take place in Hong Kong and none of his finished films take place in Hong Kong, I think that's significant. His first film, after coming back to Hong Kong, The Big Boss, takes place in Thailand. Fist of Fury takes place in Shanghai. And Way of the Dragon takes place in Rome. So focusing on the ones set in Thailand and Rome... 
I guess we can ask, like, to what extent are these movies then the work of an overseas Chinese person? Or to think about another way, a Chinese American who has a certain upbringing and way of seeing his place in a larger world and how that might shape the kind of movie he makes. And again, like, there's been like, hundreds of articles written about these movies, and we don't want to rehash a lot of that. But I will say a lot of the scholarship on Bruce Lee is really from the perspective of Chineseness. It's about Chinese pride. Like, a lot of these movies are about people in the diaspora and how they kind of hold on, like, no, Chinese martial arts is better than Japanese martial arts, or better than Western martial arts. And I mean, that that's there, and it's undeniable, and perhaps Bruce Lee kind of believes in a lot of that. But I don't think Chinese pride is as much as part of like the Asian American ethos. So I'm curious the ways in which other kinds of Asian American seep into these stories beyond just kind of this cultural nationalism of like Chinese can beat Japanese or Chinese can beat Italian. So, The Big Boss is a film that he co-wrote with Lo Wei. Yeah, and Lo Wei directed the film. And Lo Wei is, he was a pretty accomplished director and actor in Shaw Brothers and in other studios in Hong Kong by this point. It was written for James Tian, who's in the film. And last minute when they changed directors, they made Bruce Lee the star. And then that was his breakout. He doesn't play Chinese American, right? So all these movies, he doesn't play Chinese American. He plays somebody who just came from Southern China slash Hong Kong. Okay, so he's like a Chinese guy who is in Thailand. He's kind of like a cowboy figure, like a problem solver. Like the Chinese community in Thailand, they're not doing that well. They're having some trouble with their bosses. His cousin works for this factory and they realize that it's a front for a drug smuggling ring led by the big boss. So part of it is like them taking down the big boss. And then at some point, Bruce Lee takes over for the big boss. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Like, this was never my favorite Bruce Lee movie, but watching it this time, I was really impressed by the kind of politics of labor that they talk about. Like, this is a super working class movie. And it reminds you, like, why Bruce Lee was such a working class hero or icon. The big boss realizes that Bruce Lee is sort of the leader of the Chinese. By leader, I mean he's the best fighter. <laughs> so he tries to say, well, I'm going to give you a promotion. And you're going to move up in this company. And Bruce Lee's like kind of stuck between, oh, am I going to stick up for the workers or am I going to like enter the bourgeois class? Mm. And he sticks up for the people. Yeah, and, eventually. And fights his way through. Yeah, eventually. He's tempted. He's tempted. There are uh, libations and sexy ladies. Prostitutes. Who are trying to lure him <laughs> to the other side. Right, right. So one of the things I remember like being kind of bored about this movie was like compared to his other films, there's just not that much Bruce Lee fighting in it. Yeah. But watching it again, I realize his performance is really fascinating in the beginning of the film before he starts fighting. He doesn't say very much. His character has gotten this jade necklace from his mother. He promised her that he wouldn't fight. Yeah. So a lot of the beginning of the movie is him seeing other people fight. And because we know who Bruce Lee is, we're like, oh, yeah, he, he could beat them all up for you. But then he takes his necklace out and he's like, no, I made a promise. So it's like it's a lot of like... <laughs> When is he going to fight? Yeah. Looking at the necklace. No, he's not going to fight. And there's like a tension of like, whoa, whoa, come on. But like, yeah, you made a promise, but this is a Bruce Lee movie, Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you made a promise to us, Bruce Lee, as your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just sort of like waiting for him to break his promise to his mom, I guess. <laughs> we know you're going to break yeah, your promise. Like, yes, you can't wait for him to break his <laughs> yeah, promise yeah. to his mom. 
But like even while he's in that tension, he has a certain swagger. And we talk, we've talked about swagger in this season already. And how like the Chinese Americans go to China in a Great Wall. You feel like they're above it. I feel like there's something similar to Bruce Lee's presence here. Yeah. But it's not a silly kind of swagger. It's, it's like a working class swagger. Mm. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's a different generation of immigration that Bruce Lee represents. Like the a Great Wall generation is you came because of your intelligence. Like you're here to tap into like the technology industry. Uh-huh. Whereas Bruce Lee is of that generation pre-1964 where you're in the U.S. because you're working in laundromats or in restaurants. And it kind of brings with it like a swagger that's developed in the streets and not in like playing football video games or something or like watching <laughs> NBA. I don't know. Like, how would you describe like the way he just kind of carries himself? He's obviously like very fit, right? So it's, his posture is better than anybody. There's like the pecs. Yeah. <laughs> we know what he looks like with the shirt off, but like you can feel that yeah. like through his clothes. He's like the first person you gravitate. He's got this magnetism that's pure cinema. And I think it's part of it is his stature and his builtness. It's also like very John Wayne in the sense he doesn't say very much. And somehow you just know from that quiet corner of the frame, anything can happen. There's also 70s fashion involved. <laughs> <laughs> and this would be different than other art, martial art films that came out before this, which tended to be set in the 18th or 19th century. Period film. And so I guess he brought with him a certain kind of worldly swagger too. Bruce Lee brought with him a Hollywoodness, which is also like this Western cool. Yeah. So you want to attribute that to Asian Americanness? I think I would. I think that like even if he's not the director, like no one says the big boss, a low way film. <laughs> it's a Bruce Lee film through and through. And uh and you get that through the choreography and just as soon as like his first fight, he, he's still trying not to fight. Uh he's still he's still like holding on to his promise to his mom. And like he has just the smallest move, like he barely like his his elbows barely leave his his body, and just the ferocity of that like minuscule move, you're already like, wow, this is Bruce Lee is the man here. Like he is he is why I'm watching this movie. But also like it's also like he can be quiet, he can like not quote unquote fight, and yet still destroy people. It's magnetic, and yeah, so made him a star. Okay, but like. I get what you're saying about Asian American swagger, but it's not like there's not Hong Kong swagger, right? Right, right. No, that's a really good point. What's the difference between like Bruce Lee swagger versus Chow Yun Fat swagger? Well, I would. It really the question is like, what is Bruce Lee swagger different than the martial art stars that came before him? Because I would argue that even the later Hong Kong stars, they're, they're influenced by Bruce Lee swagger. Oh, interesting. So who are the Hong Kong stars before that? So like, like a Jimmy Wong Yu. Oh. He was the biggest action star before then. I mean, he was also like a no-nonsense, doesn't say very much. But with Bruce Lee, you can feel like sometimes he's got a smile behind his silence. Oh, yeah. There's some smirking going on. He's standing there like... A lot of sense that like, y'all are fighting, that's fine. I see what you're doing. Just you wait. Just you wait till I break my promise to my mom. That feels very new to me. I mean, yeah, there, there's plenty of like badass male Hong Kong action stars before Bruce Lee. Actually, there were a lot of female martial arts stars before Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee kind of turned it into a masculine genre oh, really? in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. before, like, like Sun Pei Pei. Oh, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, And it was more of like a balletic kind of action. And then Bruce Lee turned it into a, a street fight kind of action. Oh, Interesting. And it was all about speed afterwards. Like everyone else in these movies look like they're moving in slow motion compared to him. So part of him like looking around, watching everybody else fight is like, you are moving way too slow. (laughs) (laughs) And there was all these like legends that 
they have to like shoot some of his scenes in slow motion because they couldn't see his movements. I don't know how, how accurate <laughs> that is. That's part of his legend. So there was definitely a sense that like we are importing something new. Yeah, yeah. That he embodies somebody new, and just the fact that it was well known that he came from Hollywood that. That might have been associated with a Western ferocity that they weren't used to yet. Do you know anything about when he played Cato? Whether he had any of that? Did he have that swagger in an American film? Well, I do know that, like, if you watch like 1960s Hollywood films that are just like regular suspense action movies, like the action scenes in there are so lame. <laughs> <laughs> like the and the moves they have are so lame. Like a karate chop to the neck could take somebody out. It's just like one hit and the other person's gone. James Bond movies sometimes are like that. The Green Hornet episodes sort of took it up a notch in terms of how you can showcase action. So how does that compare to Way of the Dragon? Is it kind of the same thing? Well, so Way of the Dragon also was very. These are both very working class movies. So. The big boss is in Thailand. The Chinese community there, they work in an ice factory, which is such a cool cinematic location. Yeah. And then in Way of the Dragon, they're working in a Chinese restaurant. This is in Rome, Italy. Also very working class. And what's happening in the movie is that this Chinese restaurant has been terrorized by a kind of local gang. So Bruce Lee's character has been brought in from Hong Kong to, to protect them from, from the gang. The gang is made up of quote-unquote Westerners. It's mostly a mix of white and black characters, but one of their cronies is a Chinese guy who's clearly coded as queer. I mean, super problematic, but there it is. And Bruce Lee's been brought in to protect the Chinese restaurant from this gang. Now, this has always been one of my favorite Bruce Lee movies. And watching it this time and asking myself the question of what's the Chinese-Americanness of this movie or the Asian-Americanness of this movie, I think it's torn. In many moments in the film, it's a fish-out-of-the-water film. He's a Chinese person in Rome, and there's a certain kind of comedy. And you see this happen to Jackie Chan in stuff like Rush Hour. Like, he can't read the menu, so he ends up, like, ordering everything on the, on the menu and having, like, indigestion, which is a ridiculous way of thinking about a Bruce Lee movie. Like, the first, like, 15 minutes are just, like, comic hijinks. And kind of making him the butt of the joke. But there's also these moments where you feel like that judgingness that we talked about from the big boss extends also to the white community in Italy. Like, like what do you remember of that uh, that beginning when he's at the airport? And it's such a strange scene where this, like, older white woman in Rome is just staring at him. And he just doesn't know whether to stare back. He's not going to be irked in a very obvious way because he's Bruce Lee and he's cooler than that. But he, like, he throws back some shade that is I've never seen in a Chinese film before. Yeah, and that's the thing. So this one is his directorial debut right yeah so we could assume that he's has a lot more say in the content here and how characters are are shaped that feels like a very asian american feeling right right to be like looked at as an outsider yeah yeah and in moments like that you feel like bruce lee's character has been an outsider his entire life and he just knows how to deflect it like he knows how to make himself feel okay that this woman is staring at him just gawking at his chineseness he has a layer of protection that he um has developed after living in the United States. Right, right. And it's like, you feel the anger, but you also realize that, yeah, it's not going to get to him. He knows better. Right. But then there are these moments where he's the butt of the joke for being an outsider in, in Rome. So that's where I feel like sometimes it's one way, sometimes the other. The butt of the joke ones, those feel more Hong Kong to me. Yeah. Because a Hong Kong person who's making a film overseas or is traveling overseas, they don't really have to deal with the fact that they're perpetual outsiders. Like they know they can always go home and not be a fish out of water anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Bruce Lee just feel like yeah he's he's just always been a fish out of the water so he knows he knows that gaze he knows what it means to to be like fetishized. 
Is that something that you had ever thought about when you had watched Way of the Dragon before? No, no. I, th- I think it's because of this season that, that had me noticing that scene as peculiar. And like closer to like, a Chinese-American experience than a Hong Kong as global, which is usually how these movies are talked about. They're like, oh, it's, look how global Hong Kong is. So that's more aligned with what we want to explore next season. But yeah, whereas this is, this is Bruce Lee. Like, he had a way of projecting his character that we had never seen before in Hong Kong film. And I think it was kind of uniquely Chinese-American. Yeah, well, I mean, that kind of goes back to the bigger question in general that we've always been thinking about, especially as people who made best Asian American films lists. What makes it an Asian American film? Is the director, the auteur, if he or she is Asian American, is it automatically Asian American? Does the topic have to be Asian American? Do the characters have to be Asian American? Because that's the thing, like films like these, it's like made by the Hong Kong film industry. He doesn't play Asian Americans and it's not set in America. But we know behind the scenes, it's his movie. Yeah. He directed it. He yeah. wrote it. This is his story. So what do you call it? What parts can we claim? I think it intersects. If you think of the opposite side, I think when people say it's not an Asian American movie if Asian Americans aren't in it. Well, what about Slumdog Millionaire? Nobody in India thinks of that as an Indian movie. Like they think of it as a British movie because the director is British is from a British perspective. So it's sort of like you could argue Way of the Dragon has an Asian American perspective, Asian American director, right? Yeah, I think we're trying to make that argument. Not just to completely claim Bruce Lee for ourselves. Everyone wants to claim Bruce Lee for good reason. He's kind of a classic transnational being. He's made all these movies in Hong Kong, and a lot of them are exploring the tensions that he might have with other communities, whether it's the Thai and Chinese or Roman and Chinese or Fist of Fear, the Japanese and Chinese. And End of the Dragon, sort of him against the world. Yeah, yeah. And usually that's, um, especially in a lot of like Chinese studies uh, folks, they, they see this as, oh, that's Bruce Lee and his Chinese pride. Whereas, I don't know, I think within the context of the season, like thinking about it as somebody who's never quite fit in anywhere. Yeah. And also like Hong Kong action movies are, are sort of famous for having white characters, white and black characters who fight against the Chinese hero. And inevitably the Chinese hero wins. So that's not that novel. But um, I feel like, his depiction of Chuck Norris in this movie is really, really unique. It doesn't feel like the usual, the ferocious white guy that's going to come in and the Chinese guy is the underdog, but the other Chinese guy will show his boss. Um, that's what happens. But what do you think of the, the Chuck Norris character? Because Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris knew each other as people in the U.S. who practice martial arts. And this was Chuck Norris's debut in a film too, right? Yeah, I think so. He kind of comes across as a potentially equal competitor. Like a peer, almost? Like we could have came up in the circuit together. Yeah, that scene in the end is a very famous fight scene. It's a really good fight scene. It's just shot really nicely. It's shot in the Coliseum. They're both shirtless. Chuck Norris is very hairy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I I actually want to talk about this. Okay. (laughs) So on the one hand, you get the sense that Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, or Bruce Lee as the director and writer of the film, he, he respects Chuck Norris as a peer, as a competitor. At the same time, Chuck Norris's whiteness is played up in a way I've never seen in another Hong Kong movie quite the same way. Oh, like really? Usually it's just the, the fact that they're white is good enough for us to like want to root for the Chinese hero, like, supposedly. Um, but in this case, like he is like very, very attuned to like the white body. <laughs> and like what it means to fight a white body, <laughs> like potentially stereotypical one. But 
I feel like that also comes from experience. Like you can't just have grown up in Hong Kong and say, oh, I'm going to bring in a a white villain. I'm going to beat him up. Like you mentioned Chuck Norris's chest hair in this movie. It is wild chest hair. (laughs) There is not a bare splotch on his chest. (laughs) It is a garden. And Bruce Lee, like you feel like when he's fighting Chuck Norris, like you almost feel the hair like on your own skin. (laughs) And to the point where... Bruce Lee actually at one point grabs Chuck Norris's chest hair and like snatches it off his body <laughs> in a kind of a legendary moment. Legendary and like a very kind of exotic. Also like they're shirtless, but Bruce Lee's wearing black pants and Chuck Norris is wearing white pants to accentuate the whiteness. <laughs> so white in this movie. Um, and then also like I was reading that, that Bruce Lee had Chuck Norris bulk up for it. Oh. Like, his entire body is just so big. It's not like muscular big, it's just like thick, which is different than sort of that leanness of a Bruce Lee. Yeah, it's kind of like a fight between the strength of leanness versus like brawn, you know what I mean? Which is a very... Bulk. Yeah, bulky, white masculine thing, I think. Yeah. So even though this, I think, plays into stereotypes, obviously, I feel like that also comes from the same place that creates that sense of respect that Bruce Lee has for Chuck Norris. They're competitors. It just happens to be the fact that if you were actually around white people, you know what it's like to actually engage with one engage with one of those <laughs> does that come off as weird what <laughs> one of those exotic beings <laughs> right. that came off as weird yeah yeah and i think over the course of this season it's been very fascinating to see the different ways that asian americans have been telling their stories in asia so in the context of this season it's sort of like bruce lee as a chinese american would naturally want to tell stories about overseas chinese But the other way of thinking about it is if the Hong Kong film industry wants to make a movie about overseas Chinese, they can exploit the fact that Bruce Lee is a Chinese American. There's actually a long history of that as a trend throughout Asia, not just in Hong Kong. Yeah. So even though we didn't tell you guys in the beginning of the season, we always designed this year as two joint semesters because we wanted to spend the first semester exploring Asian Americans in Asia. And then this next semester coming up in the spring exploring the opposite side of this. What are the stereotypes of Asian Americans that you find in Asian film? What is the Asian film industry of all these different countries? What are they interested in when it comes to the Asian American story? Yeah, because I think with Bruce Lee, it was was a case where it all worked out. Like the Chinese American side, the Hong Kong side, they came together and made a movie that everyone wanted to see. But just thinking back to Crazy Rich Asians, which we kind of started the season mentioning, Crazy Rich Asians just opened in China. And everyone's been talking about how it flopped in China and how on all the internet comments for Crazy Rich Asians, everyone's just like, in China, is like, this is what Chinese Americans want to see. We don't care about this. To us, this is all stereotype. (laughs) I think that just reminds us of different approaches to the value of Asian American characters and what they can represent for different people. Right. We'll take a look at what Asian Americans might represent two audiences in Asia, two producers in Asia. Yeah, and I think it'll be fun. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, we've already started making a list of potential films, potential countries and industries, and this is going to be really cool to explore and it has not really been talked about very much within Asian American circles. Yeah, so if you guys have any suggestions for us, Asian films about Asian America, please tweet us. We have a bunch of films in mind, but we definitely don't want to leave something out. So have a great winter break. We'll see you back in the spring. Ah! 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 Ah!
Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. Class dismissed. Also, we've been doing a terrible job highlighting the other podcasts of the Potluck Podcast Collective this season. So please check out They Call Us Bruce with Phil Yu and Jeff Yang. Good Muslim, Bad Muslim with Taz Ahmed and Zara Norbash. First of all, with Christine Minji Chang. Asian Americana with Quincy Surasmith. Collabcast with Marvin Yue and Minji. And more. Go to podcastpotluck.com. Please don't kick us out of the Potluck Podcast Collective for not following directions. (laughs) They're the best.